0: Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Today, we are going to discuss educating at-risk youth. I believe it was the summer of 1995 when I first began working in a residential setting for emotionally disturbed youth. I began working as a member of the recreation staff and soon found myself teaching special education during their summer school session. Something about these children led me to several years of involvement, training as a therapeutic foster adoptive parent and the adoption of my now 24 years young son. While in these residential settings, I gained training in therapeutic crisis intervention, also called TCI, and risking connection, a relationship approach to effectively reaching troubled children. My first guest, Elizabeth Power, is the CEO of ePower and Associates, Inc., Her world consists of using learning to reduce the time, trauma, and cost of healing for everyone involved, the people who provide the services and the people who receive them. She knows the power of relationship as the central healing agent in recovery from overwhelming experience, especially those beginning in early childhood. Elizabeth's work is represented at traumarecoveryconnection.com, which is part of her firm, ePower and Associates ePower and Associates is an authorized vendor for Sidron Institute's Risking Connection. Elizabeth, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Dr. Jefferson, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I greatly appreciate your time. Um, I understand that when you teach Risking Connection, you encourage providers to ditch the token behavior consequence systems they often use. Why is that?
1: Well, mostly because few people use those at home, and every time we teach children an alternative mechanism that's not used in, in, in the natural environment of home, we're asking them to master another set of skills that, that aren't necessarily going to transfer. And besides, when we have a good, strong relationship with children, and especially when we have good, strong relationship skills, we don't need token economies to help us master those skills. What kids need um, Jonathan is they need to learn the impact of their behavior on themselves and on others in ways that are meaningful and real and they need then to restore the relationships
0: okay so explain to to the audience what risking connection is for some people this first time they're hearing this sure. term together sure.
1: it's it's a it's a it's a model of responding to people who've experienced overwhelming trauma uh, overwhelming events ranging from abuse and neglect to medical crises um natural disasters, other events, but it started out primarily as focusing on child abuse and neglect. And it is a way of relating to people that looks at what's wrong with them is totally secondary to what happened to them. A child's behavior or an adult's behavior makes sense in context, and risk and connection helps people comprehend how that behavior makes sense, how to relate to people in ways that reduce the um, the pathologizing It makes the healing easier for everybody. It's like, oh, I get it. The reason that little girl doesn't do anything except bark is because when she was growing up as a young child, all she saw protecting the family were the dogs. She's not psychotic. She's doing the best she knows how to protect herself just the way the dogs protected her family.
0: Okay. Now, that's a a powerful example, but give us a a more common example where, Uh, the behavior consequence model would be used, and the risk and connection model would have been much more effective.
1: Sure. Let's talk about the setting you used to work in. You're in a day room with a group of kids, and somebodys they're watching a movie, and a little boy gets upset and tosses popcorn and starts to toss a chair. Obviously, the first thing is to get the other kids out of the way. The behavior consequence model would say, you're busted six levels, you lose 35 points, play period, and all of your privileges for the rest of your life. Risking connection says, let's take a look at what happened. We go first to the child that got upset and say, Tommy, how come you threw the popcorn? What happened? Tommy says, I don't like it when he touches me. He breathed my air. He touched me. Okay, Tommy, that's good to know. Then you go to the kids who were there in addition to Tommy and say, what did you guys see happen? Saw Tommy toss the ball. You know, uh, uh, Jimmy touched Tommy's leg, and, and Tommy threw his bowl in the air and started tossing chairs. When you say to the kid that touched Tommy, Jimmy, how come you touched Tommy? I didn't mean to. It was just an accident. Then you have the means to say, okay. Tommy, what do you need from Jimmy to be able to sit and watch a movie without throwing popcorn? I need for Jimmy not to touch me. Jimmy, what do you need to not be able to not touch Tommy while you're watching TV? I need to sit further away from him. Okay, we can do that. Group, what do you need from Tommy, who threw the chairs and the popcorn, to feel comfortable with him watching a movie with you? And you find out what everybody needs from each other to be comfortable Then you're not busting a kid's privileges, putting them in a position where at some point, and this is the thing in schools, the more we use that kind of disciplinary process in schools, the sooner we get to a point where a child has nothing left to lose.
0: Okay. Now, now, can I run a scenario by you? Because I actually do want to have your your expert opinion on this. Okay, I have a child who uh, stole an iPhone from another child in school. And sure. the child happens to be a member of the, uh, the varsity football team. So the varsity, child. the child who did the stealing was a member of the varsity football team.
1: Right.
0: So, so the parents are, are very upset that, you know, they, they, they are, um, respected p- family in a the community. They certainly could have afforded an iPhone for their child if he truly needed it. So they're really upset at their child and they say, that's it. You're not going to now. The child is 16 years old. You're not going to play football the entire next season, your junior year. Um, okay. Why is what would your opinion be on that consequence, and 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 what alternative might you suggest?
1: I would want to back up even further and say, how does it help that young man to steal that iPhone? hmm Because the thing is, that behavior serves a purpose for him. It's not about manipulating. It's not about getting one over on anybody. But how, did, how does stealing that phone help him? What about that phone was so important that he was willing to steal and risk his football career for it? And then you begin to see, oh, okay, maybe he didn't really want to play football. Maybe he got teased because he didn't have an iPhone. There are all kinds of things that go on. It's it's an indirect form of communication with his parents. Mm-hmm. He's, there's something he he needs that he's not getting. You know, he's, and instead of being able to say, "Mom and Dad, I really hate football. I don't want to play football. I'd rather be in ballet." God, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're missing the point that his behavior has meaning and context that is probably not about the consequence he's facing. And I would be I would want to sit down and say I would want to sit down and say Yeah, you know, let me understand what's going on. That must have been a very important phone for you, for you to be willing to steal it. What made that phone so important to you? I'd be looking at the symbolic meaning of, of the action. Because only then can you go to the parents and say, you know, I really appreciate you wanting your son to learn not to steal. Um, I would have felt the same way you felt when you, found him, when you found the phone and when you found out what he'd done. And, um, and here's what we've often found is that kids do things for meanings that aren't obvious to us. He didn't do this to be a bad kid. He didn't do it to be manipulative. He didn't do it to, to get one over on you. If he wanted to get punished, he could have just hit somebody on the football team and gotten off the football team, right? Mm-hmm. So what is it about his behavior that tells us what he's looking for and that helps us help him have a better shot at successful relationships by saying, tell us what this means to you and how can we help you get where you want to go with a... With behavior that is less expensive for you.
0: Hmm. Now, what could be the detriment? For example, in this very same scenario, this occurred in March. Football season is not until August, and we're talking about a young person here. So, what could possibly be gained from a child missing out on an entire fall season for uh, a consequence given for something? all the way back in the spring because I just, for me,
1: it's too far away. But again, if the parents don't under- don't know what to do instead, this may be their fallback position. If they think football is that important to him when re- really it may be that important to them because they may see it as this way to get a scholarship. Um, they may see it as proving his manhood and being manly. You know, what is the meaning of football to the parents? and it may be that they don't understand that when you punish a child for something that's something that far away, it the punishment becomes meaningless. Okay. You know, the question is the you know, it, it, I mean, there's so many ways that this could go. What is it about football that's so important to the parents? Did the parents push it? Did the kid push it? Why is you know? But what's what if, what's happening to these relationships, and what is he going to do instead of football that builds relationships that reduce the need to him have to steal to get a need met?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when I look at uh, risking connection, uh, because I was I was trained in risking connection. This was several years right. ago. And I, I thought, wow, finally something that is about people (laughs) and not about,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, and not about control. You know, I really felt the behavior consequence was the adults having the illusion of control. Whereas the relationship was truly trying to build a child's, um, capacity and also that the relationship was stronger than any consequence and the child would probably choose to, make the right choice so as not to harm that relationship is that did i get the right vibe from my you training
1: got, you got the right vibe from your training as long as you're willing to remember that depending on when this when the child when the, when the earliest injury occurred to the child's development is when you find the place for the child is still locked up for example i was thinking about the young man who stole the football how old are kids when they take each other's prized to toys 5 and 6
0: Yes, pretty young sandbox.
1: Okay, so what's what's going on? You know, so you you would be looking at this if this is this child's strategy for getting a need met. You would be going. You might be thinking, I wonder what was going on when this kid was two, three, four, five, six years old. That hmm. is that he was still stuck, because symptomatic behavior, problematic behavior, reflects a place where a person got stuck. I'll give you a classic example. What is the age at which kids get stuck doing fractions?
0: So that's about 9 or 10 years old when they start that.
1: 9 or 10 years old, that's correct. And so when you see an adult who has the ability to read numbers that is who is not dyscalculic yet who freezes up at fractions, can't can whose math skills are stuck at fractions even if they understand quantum physics, you're looking for you're looking at a child whose injury occurred around 9 or 10 years old. Wow. At least an injury, not necessarily the injury. Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. In fact, I've, I never made such a direct or heard someone make such a direct connection between the behavior and how far back in their development that they, they may have been uh, received damage, if, if that's the right word, word to use.
1: Yeah, here's a cl- here's another one. Let's say that you have a child whose parents moved a lot between birth and three the age of which attachment is really critical, especially the, the earlier part, the early, early, early part. If that child's parents moved a lot, maybe deployment, maybe homelessness due to the economic crises, maybe immigration, perhaps natural disaster, I could name any number of events right now that could cause a family to appropriately move between birth and age three without abuse or neglect coming in, how will develop, do you think that child's sense of connection to others in their absence is, depending on how the family is. If the mom and dad have adequate support, if there are lots of resources within the family and the community and the neighborhoods where they go so they can resettle quickly, the child can then learn to have those inner resources they can call on in their absence, the people, places, things, God, whatever. But if the family is disrupted because maybe dad's been deployed, redeployed, deployed, redeployed, so mom's living in anxiety the entire time about will he come home, or maybe the family is dealing with illness of a per, of the parent so that the, the mother is unavailable to the child, not not in a neglectful way, but because she's taking care of her spouse who may be dying, it's not that the family is being neglectful. It is that the circumstances of life inhibit the development of strong attachment, unless there's a grandparent carrying adults around so the child's attachment needs can be spread out, then you see in that particular kind of situation a child who may have difficulty calling on others inside and remembering, oh, I remember when I got upset, so-and-so said do thus and such. I'm I'm, using, I'm talking verbal even though I'm talking pre-verbal development. And you see a child who has difficulty regulating their emotions. They haven't had good modeling their mom or their caregiver was very busy packing, unpacking, going to the hospital, Mm. doing whatever needed to be done, and that child just didn't have the opportunity to learn the skills. And if they were parked in front of a TV to learn those skills, I guarantee you they didn't get them.
0: That's that's a very good point. Elizabeth, this is great information, and we definitely have more time to, to talk. But at this time, I need to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with my guest, Elizabeth Power. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. Uh, Elizabeth, tell me why are you so passionate about risking connection?
1: Well, there are a couple of reasons. One is my own journey from uh, over the years in terms of recovering from adverse experiences in my own childhood and the number of times that I was understood in the wrong way by people who were doing the best they could and the amount of effort it took to get where I am. And the second is when you stop and think about it, the symptoms don't care what the diagnosis is. Every single child in that residential care facility you were working with All of the behavioral symptoms that you saw could have cared less about diagnoses. The other piece of this is that when you begin to look at what happened to a person as the driver in the development of maladaptive behavior instead of the name of a mental disorder, you begin to have a lot more hope for helping a person change their behavior. I'm an educator, and Risking Connection is about learning. New skills and learning to compensate for the barriers that keep a person from being who they really are, including the provider, the people who provide services.
0: Okay, and since we're talking education, how does the power of a relationship impact the classroom or any other room for that oh, matter?
1: Hugely, hugely. Let me tell you about a guy in Walla Walla, Washington. He's the principal of Lincoln High School, and he was at a training where he heard about the impact of overwhelming experiences on the brain. And what we know is that when the, when the limbic six system is activated, the old reptile in the back of the neck, the reptilian brain, it takes 20 minutes for a person to re-regulate. So now let's go to the classroom. Let's go to a high school, his high school, where because of zero tolerance, they had huge numbers of kids getting kicked out of school, suspended, mm-hmm. kicked out. Now, when he taught his teachers, instead of going, we're out, to that kid to say, tell me what's going on, what's happening, and to let the kid have 20 minutes to calm down. What he heard was amazing. The stories about what was going on in children's lives that they were having to overcome to get to school, to stay in school, and to learn, and they dropped their suspension rate by 85%. Wow. They dropped their suspension rate 85% because they took into account that when kids go into fight or flight, or freeze, that is when the limbic system kicks in, they can't learn. Mm. And instead of punishing kids for having normal brain based reactions to overwhelming events, and remember what overwhelms you and I may be very different from what overwhelms a kid, they were actually allowing the kids to be human. So those teachers, and you, can, you know it as well as I do, Jonathan, you think about, there was probably a teacher in your life who basically helped you save your keysters by being nice to you when you're in trouble
0: uh more often than i'd like to uh, admit
1: (laughs) you go so it is the teachers and the educators who have the day-long contact with the kids who are struggling with sometimes classes that are too large sometimes boards of education that don't get it sometimes regulatory and 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 curriculum requirements that are in my opinion somewhat crazy um but it is the teachers who have the ability to help the kids recover and learn skills just by being more human and by being better at relating themselves. Um, you know, it, It's an amazing thing to me. I, I am intolerant of almost every psychotropic medication. I had mm. to learn my way through my own history. I had to learn how to, um, this risking connection with three self-capacities, how to manage strong negative feelings, strong feelings of any sort uh, was, was something I had to learn. I had to learn how to remember those strong positive connections with others in their absence. And there's so many ways that we can do that. You know, whose, whose pictures do you have on your cell phone? To whom do you have a special ringtone attached? Are you wearing clothes that somebody gave you? Jewelry that somebody gave you? Do you have a tat that's commemorative? There's so many ways that educators and Everybody can can look at how to strengthen their relationships with others to help other people have a have a better shot at getting past the crazy little crises that that that, we're, that really impair kids' development. Yeah,
0: and and I'm, I'm glad you made that you brought that up because it was something I gained from Risking Connections about uh, the importance of of small things like you just mentioned, whether it's a keychain or a ringtone or what have you. And I remember my son, who I uh, adopted out of. Uh, the the very residential settings where we've been discussing. Um, I, I sent him away to, I don't want to get into too much detail, and I'm certainly not a perfect parent or wasn't a perfect parent, but I sent him to a parent choice school. And when he would come to visit or when he would come to my office, it was such a huge positive impact for him to see his picture in my office. So, right. You know, he kind of, exactly. he, he kind of, uh, Yes, it's like wow. He's sending. He's truly sending me away to this school because he cares, not because he doesn't want me or he forgot about me. And just seeing his picture in my prominently displayed. He is a handsome kid, but it was prominently displayed in my office. Um, I could see that his his behavior change. It's just his almost like a glow.
1: Exactly because he knew that one small gesture. Might be small to you, but to him it was huge. It, it was in his world, it meant he belonged.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, now we always think of trauma as abuse and neglect. Isn't that what it is or isn't it nothing more than that? Well
1: that's only that's a very small piece of it. Let's look at it from the child's point of view from a, 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 a person who's extremely short, extremely short. To that child, the child is utterly dependent on adults for food, for clothing, for shelter, and learns from the adults what to do when, it, when things get tough. What overwhelms a person who is two months old or four months old or six months old or a year it may be very different than what overwhelms you and I, but we tend to put the adult perspective on it and not the child's. Let me ask you a trick question. It's not a trick question. To whom is a hangnail traumatic besides a 14-year-old girl?
0: <laughs> the, the, the parent yeah. who has to take it out.
1: <laughs> the parent wants to take it out. Yeah, well, it's, are you overwhelmed to the point that you can't cope? Because a child has such lim- has so few limited, has so few resources, when a child is facing medical um, medical procedures that it can't understand that are painful and scary, um, if the parent's not able to be fully present for the child and help the child learn how to soothe in that situation, it's going to be registered as a trauma. Any event can be traumatic depending on how the child processes it and who's there to support the child. And I'm not talking about sending kids out of their homes necessarily or to mental health facilities. I'm talking the everyday stuff of life. That kid who moved around a lot, that was me. We moved 13 times before I was two because my dad was in the military. Mm -hmm. Then he had the nerve to die. Then I had a rare disease was on phenobarbital for six weeks. Then my knees started dislocating by the time I was five. That's, there's no trauma or there's no abuse and neglect in there, yet I grew up with the same kind of behavior problems as if the initial be- events had been abuse and neglect. And that's the part we all miss.
0: Hmm. So so actually it is very important to uh, kiss it and make it feel better, for example. You know, if the child gets a bump yeah. or a bruise or a boo-boo, to have a, 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 a loving adult there to kiss it and make it feel better, give them a quick hug. <laughs> That, that, yes. That's part of their development. That's an important part of their that's development.
1: exactly right. What kids learn in the first year, the kids make two million brain connections every day in the first five years of their life. And that's where all those neuro, neuro, neural networks are being laid down for compassion, for caring, for self-soothing for knowing how to respond to themselves when they're in difficult times, for knowing how to respond to others, and for knowing how the world will respond to them when they're in trouble, when things are going badly. Um, that's why you know you might, you might let a child wait for two minutes before you respond to crying, but if you wait much longer, they begin to think they've been rejected mm. or that they're going to die. Mm. That's why a child is frightened by a dog behind a fence in the yard. You don't snatch him up by the arm and say, you get away from that fence. If you hadn't been there in the first place, that dog wouldn't have barked. You stop and say, look, you know the dog's, the dog's behind the fence. I'm right here with you. I'm going to keep you safe. That dog's just letting us know that he wants us to keep going. It's okay. You know, and, mm. and how those things get laid down in the first five years of a child's life drive how a child develops later on. And every time something so overwhelmed happens that the child can't stay present, can't integrate the feelings, and can't make sense, this is all risk and connection. Development stalls until that injury is healed. Okay.
0: Well, excellent information. Uh, tell me what are three keys to relational healing.
1: One is really choosing to believe that people are absolutely doing the best that they can and meeting them where they are. The second is to recognize that when you meet people as if they are truly doing the best that they can in the moment. It gives you compassion, which allows you to then understand how what's going on really makes sense in context. And the third is that if you take care of yourself in a way that is compassionate and loving and mindful, you have a lot more to offer other people. You can't give what you ain't got.
0: Mm. Very well stated, very well stated. Um, if schools if schools and others are interested in risking connection what should they do?
1: They can contact me at epower at ePowerAndAssociates.com or they can go to riskingconnection.com they can check us out at trauma com as well
0: Excellent. Okay, we have been speaking with Elizabeth Power, CEO of ePower and Associates, Inc. To learn more about her, visit ePowerandAssociates.com. To learn more about the important work she does, you can visit TraumaRecoveryConnection.com. Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I appreciate it. I definitely would like to speak to you more.
1: Indeed. Give me a call.
0: we Will do. Stay tuned because our next guest will share with us how she teaches children who were born angry.